Well, I am a happy camper. My daughter, Rebecca, is back from a six-week internship in Africa. Honey, stand up. Let me embarrass you there. Go ahead. She's in the back there. Give her a big hand. She wouldn't sit by me. She's got some fella back there. I need some ushers to help me at the end of the service, please. Well, make your way, Exodus 36, as you're making your way there, Exodus chapter 36. How many uh, University of Arkansas hog fans here? Let me, let me see your hand here. I, I, I've got some help for you, okay? Okay, well, let me broaden it a little bit. How many just love the SEC and football games? Let me see your hand. All right. Well, how many know every team needs a key player or two? And these players can come from different places. Uh, I don't know if you saw this this week, but there was uh, two brothers, and they were at a uh, uh, minor league baseball game. I believe it was the Rockies, and uh, uh, they, you know, it was kind of a guy's ego deal before the game. They put up a pitching cage, and they've got guns to show fast you're throwing. And this one guy was throwing 96 miles an hour. He was 23 years of old, threw a ball 96 miles an hour, and guess what? He got an offer from a professional team to join their organization this week. You just never know where players are coming from. Well, I know this kid that lives in, Ar in northern Arkansas that I think has a chance to be this turnaround player for the Arkansas uh, Razorbacks. They had not had a good team in the last few years, but this guy's a wide receiver, and I want you to take a peek at what could potentially be the Hogs' new star. Put your hands together. Closer together. There you go. Yay! It's my grandson. All right, New Beginnings. New Beginnings is more than a sermon series. It's about a fresh start for our life. And the wonderful thing I tell you today, friend, I don't care where you are, I don't care where you've been, I don't care what kind of life that you've lived. How many know nobody's too bad for God? God has no throwaways. God is in the business of restoring and recreating and make giving us better than what we had. But New Beginnings is more than a slogan. It's about our church as we relocate. It's about our own personal lives. Last week we talked about prayer and New Beginnings. Remember we learned from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, an Old Testament writer, but the nation was at a plateau and he found that it was in the place of prayer that they were able to bump up to the next level and create spiritual momentum. Prayer has the capacity to create spiritual momentum. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever stop praying. The greater the tragedy, the greater the wall, the greater the, 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 the plateau, the deeper the decline, the more power that prayer has to help us bump out of it. Well, today's message is, is called Managing for the Master. Uh, managing for the Master, it's about a word that I'm going to use called stewardship. It's about our stewardship of what God entrusts to us. Uh, and trust to us, whether it's our abilities, uh, the resources that we have. Uh, I see my role. I have been a pastor in vocational ministry for a long time, since probably 1980, uh, 1982 maybe. And I began a journey as a young man not knowing where I would end up. I ended up here in Texarkana, Texas, 29 years and I view what I'm doing not just as a job, but my calling as a pastor, as a stewardship of that gift from God. Uh, 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 it, it's something that one day I'm going to have to stand before God for, and he'll ask me. You know, the Bible says, as spiritual leaders, watch over the souls of people. So please behave and do right so I don't, <laughs> I don't get in trouble on judgment day. But we're going to give an account for our lives. God has given us gifts. He's given us abilities, resources. And this is all a part of what we steward or manage for the master. 
Uh, the story in Exodus 36 illustrates this. Exodus 36, uh, uh, Moses is leading the children of Israel. They have left Egypt. Uh, they had been slaves there 400 years. And how many know slaves don't have money? Slaves don't have resources. But yet when they left Egypt, they left uh, loaded. The Egyptians gave them resources and they went into the wilderness. You remember the story? Uh, they went to, through the Red Sea, a great miracle. They went uh, uh, to Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Well, now it's time in the nation's history is they're moving towards the promised land, but God wants Moses to build what we'll call a portable church. It was the tabernacle in the wilderness. It was movable, but yet it was very ornate. It was not built out of cardboard boxes that you would expect that slaves might have. That was all they would have to sleep in. It was built with ornate fabric. It was built with much gold and gold overlay. It was a tremendous uh, vehicle because that's where God would meet with his people. Now, here's the story as it was built. The Lord has gifted skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. In other words, God endowed or entrusted men and women with abilities to build the work. And they were eager to get to work, just like we are in our church. We have a seven different uh, professionals in the construction end that have already stood up and said, I'm going to be a part of this. Uh, God wants uh, my uh, uh, abilities to be used in this. Well, it goes on to say in verse 3, and this is what's a little interesting. Moses gave the materials that were donated by the people of Israel. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. And finally, the craftsmen went to Moses and said, the people have given more than enough to complete the materials to complete the job. Now, you've got to scratch your head just a moment. Where did these slaves get all this gold? Where did they get the, the fabrics that were used? Well, the answer is very clear. Technically, they got it from the Egyptians. But I want to suggest to you, God entrusted the resources to them for a purpose. And in that purpose, they eagerly used what God gave them to build the house. They started out as slaves that were in Egypt. They didn't have anything when they left Egypt. The women had gold earrings. They had gold chains. They had gold flatware. They had ornate clothing. But when they got in the wilderness and God challenged them to build him a temple or build him a house, they realized that they weren't just owners of what they had, but a portion of it they were stewards, and they invested in the master's house. And this is why I call it the message, Managing for the Master. And there's a word I want to talk about this morning that will help you uh, immensely in your, the way you live your life. It is the word stewardship. I'm going to contrast first, and we're going to look at two parables of, that Jesus taught. We're going to contrast the difference between an owner and a steward. As an owner, we manage as if it belongs to us. We do what we want to. As a steward, though, something is different. A steward recognizes in this case that we're managing for the master. And here's my starting place for life. It's from the scripture in the book of Acts that says, In Christ we live and move and have our being. Which means everything I am, everything I can do, and everything I'll ever do is because of Jesus. But yet at the same time, I went to college. I got a master's degree. I work hard. I work six days a week. So I've got my part and God's got his. If you can imagine the success in life that God desires for us is like two wings of a bird. God wants to bless us with ability. 
God wants to bless us with resources and capacity, but yet it's not going to fly with one wing. We do our part. We work, we study, we participate, and yet those two are able to take off and make a wonderful life. But in this arrangement, I realize that it's not just because of me. If it's all because of me and I don't have another wing at work, my little bird's not going to get off the ground. But when I look to God, I recognize that the goodness of God has given me what he's given me. God has entrusted me with the ability to be where I am. He's given me a mind. He's given you, for example, dexterity in your fingers. He's given us the ability. Isn't it a good thing when the dentist is working on your mouth or the surgeon's working on you? Don't you want them to have deaf fingers? You don't want them dropping the scalpel, you know, and say, oops. This capacity to live and see, it's all a gift from God. Luke chapter 16, there's a parable. It's called the parable of the unjust manager. Uh, Luke 16, it's one of the most hard to understand parables in the New Testament to me. And uh, I hope I can make it somewhat clearer, but it is a good lesson from a bad example. Let's read it together. Jesus told his story, this story to his disciples. He said, there was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. Now, the manager that handling his affairs was a steward. In today's world, we might call him a trustee. In the horror that's been happening in America, these three mass shootings, imagine in El Paso if a, a husband and a wife went in to buy something in Dillard's and then they went to Walmart and they were both tragically killed, but yet both of them were successful and they both had million-dollar or multi-million-dollar life insurance policies. They've got two or three little children. Well, how many know you don't give $3 million to a four-year-old and a two-year-old and a seven-year-old? You find a trustee. You find a steward. You find someone that's going to manage the estate on behalf of those children. And that trustee doesn't own the money, but his or her responsibility is to manage it for those children. They're managing. They're a steward for someone else. And this is the picture and application for us. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. In other words, he was not a good steward. The employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? You're going to be fired. Well, that was a tragic day. This man apparently was a little older. He was, uh, uh, didn't want to work digging in the ground. He didn't want to beg. So he had to come up with some shrewd way to uh, secure his future. And what he did was a dishonest thing. What he did is his master had two people that owed him, uh, owed, him, uh, owed him money. One of them, I believe, was wheat and one of them was oil. If you can imagine, one owed, uh, one owed 100 bushels of wheat. And this dishonest manager went and said, Look, if you'll write it out and you'll give me 50, we'll shake hands and it's paid in full. And he went to the guy about the oil and he said, Okay, look, you owe 100, but if you'll give 80, let's shake hands on it today. Your debt's paid in full. And the reason he did that, he did it because he, again, forgot about the master, but he tried to make a way for his own self to hustle, to survive, uh, uh, and whatever he had to do because he wanted to make friends with these men because when he lost his one job, he wanted to go and get a job from them. So what he did was clearly wrong, but yet in his wrong act, Jesus saw something positive. Jesus told us that he was able to use material things for a future spiritual benefit. It was a good lesson from a bad example. Now, this is what I want to read to you, the application to us. It's the application that Jesus makes from this parable. Verse 10, Jesus said, if you are faithful, what's that the word of? It's the word of the good steward, of the good manager. If you're faithful in little things, it'll tell us what the little things are. 
you'll be faithful in large ones. In other words, if you work for someone and you're being tested on the job, uh, if you do what they ask you to do, you have good character and honesty, before you know it, they're going to promote you and they're going to give you more money. But if you're dishonest in little things, again, the bad steward, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And now he defines it. If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth. So worldly wealth, material things, our possessions, this was the little thing. Which tells us that the way I manage my resources, my money, is a spiritual test. What I do with God has placed in my hands is a test. But the scripture says, uh, ask if you're untrustworthy, if you can't be trusted with worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with the true riches of heaven? And that's why I say our material world and how we use it is a test. I can either live my life as an owner, it's all mine, or I can see that God is the one that gives it to me, and God gives it to me to meet my needs, to enjoy it, to have fun, to be able to invest for the future. But God also gives me a portion of what I have for a kingdom work, to be able to be generous, to be able to bless people. And things come up all the time. I found just today, I was by the little table in the lobby. I don't know if you noticed, but we've got a team going to India. And one of the things they're doing, somebody, some engineer has manufactured a shoe that grows. That's made out of pliable material, and it's adjustable. And the idea is that rather than just going when your foot's a size six, and then, you know, if you're poor and don't have any shoes and you can't get a new pair when it's a seven, this little shoe will somehow grow over time, and they're very well constructed. Well, anyway, I went by the table, and I looked at it, and I saw, well, that's pretty cool. And I had this thought in my head. I need to buy a pair for them to take with them when they go to India. And then I had this other thought in my head. You just bought a bed for you and your wife, dummy. You don't have any money. What do you do with that? Well, I tell you what I do. I try to discern, is that the Lord? Was that the, obviously, it's a good thing. But if the Lord was directing me to do that, then I need to put aside my, my, my checkbook for just a second, and I need to follow the Lord as a good steward. This happens all the time in the Christian life. Well, the, I, the word stewardship, it means the responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Leave that up just a second. The responsible management of, of something entrusted to one's care. Here's a big question I want to ask you today. Who owns you? You say, well, I do, preacher. What are you getting at? My Bible says in Galatians that I've been crucified with Christ. Yeah. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I've been bought with the price. Another scripture says, I've been bought with a price. Glorify your body. Glorify the Lord with your body. So all this is telling us is, as a Christian, God is offering a partnership to me. Now, I'm 62 years old. My dad is 80-ish. He still plays golf, but I think about him every day because, you know, if we both continue on the same path we're on, one day I'm going to get a phone call, and Dad's gone to be with the Lord. Dad loves the Lord. But just knowing he's there is just someone I feel like I could lean on. If I had a problem, if I had a, a need, if I had a struggle, my dad would do anything to help me. When my wife got breast cancer several years ago, a lot of people expressed their condolences, but my dad writes me this huge check. I told him, I said, you wrote too many zeros on it. He said, no, you're my son. I'm going to help you. Well, what happens when dad is gone? What happens if you don't have a dad? Someone to step in there as a, as a big brother. Well, guess what? That's what God wants to be. 
He wants to be the, the Father, our Heavenly Father. And in a sense, if I recognize that He's the one that's given everything to me, He's the one that's provided for me, He gives me the intellect, He gives me the capacity, He gives me the dexterity in my fingers, come on now, He gives me favor with people, God is the one that cares for me. And I can take a deep breath that if I'm going to let Him be the owner and then me be the steward, how many know our lives are going to be way much better because God is taking care of us? Give him a big hand today. Now, a steward, he's like a store manager responsible to the owner. The steward is not, the manager is not the owner, and he manages for somebody else. Uh, this is, a, a steward recognizes God is first. And this is why in my own personal life, for 40 years now, I have been a tither. I take 10% of whatever I receive and I give it to the, to the, the Lord, to the Lord's work, to the, to the local storehouse where I'm fed. And I base that in Leviticus 27.30. It says a tithe or a tenth of everything from the land, it belongs to the Lord. So it's not mine and I'm returning it. I'm not giving it. I'm returning my tithe to the Lord. But then what I do in my own life, in my own world, what I try to do is recognize that it's not just the ten that belongs to the Lord. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. And this is the way that I want to live. Several years ago, uh, Linnell and I, one of our dear, dear friends, had gotten in some terrible, terrible trouble. Uh, he lost his family, lost his job. I was afraid he was going to be suicidal. And uh, I did something that I rarely do, but I opened a home and let him stay in our home for six months. Uh, I, I'm a very private person. Uh, back then, I was working six, you know, six days a week, who knows how many hours. When I came home, I just wanted, I didn't want a problem. I just wanted to be quiet. I just wanted to be peaceful with my family. But it's not my home. Now, my name may be on the deed. Well, it's on the loan for sure. But my name be, may be on the deed. But that house was not mine any more than the house I live in today or the land that I'm on. In the public records, it might show it, but I can't hold I can't take that to heaven with me. I can't, I can't move it. Ultimately, it's not mine. I'm a steward there of what was entrusted to me. And then when we felt the Lord leading us to open our bedroom, well, guess what? If it's my house, I don't have to do it. But if it belongs to the Lord, and, and it's his house, and he wants to use that for a season, guess what we did? We opened our home to him. See, this is the way a steward lives. A steward doesn't just look at life through my eyes. He or she tries to look at it through the Lord's eyes. But I want to give you a wonderful promise if you live this way. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, God promises to take care of us. The Scripture says in Proverbs 3, 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord. How do you do that? It's in your giving. It's in your responding to what He asks you to do. Honor the Lord with your wealth, putting Him first with the first fruits of all your crops. And the wonderful promise is, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, these were farmers, but the point is, if you put God first, God will take care of you. How many can say, I've found that to be true in life? Huh? Come on, look around the room right now. God has taken care of me. Sure he has. Let's, uh, let's continue. Matthew 25. Uh, Matthew, another parable. And again, I want to underscore this truth. You and I, as committed followers of Christ, manage for the master. This is traditionally called the parable of the talents. In one of your older translations, the word talent is used, and I'll explain it. But Matthew 25, verse 14, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by this story. Now, that's worth noting. 
The kingdom of heaven is, is God's design for the world. It's, it's how the world operates from God's perspective, who's the ultimate judge of life. But he said the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called his, together his servants and entrusted his wealth or his money to them while he was gone. Now, a parable is this. It is a story in the natural that, it, that explains a spiritual truth. It's something that everybody understands, and, 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 and biblical truth emerges from it. So in this story, who do you think the man going on a long trip is? Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus. Remember, after his resurrection, he ascended to heaven. Where is he now? At the right hand of the Father. But the Bible teaches that Christ is coming back to the earth one day. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. So Jesus is the man going on a long trip. And who do you think his servants are? It's us. He entrusted to his servants not only his material wealth, but I believe the application is as well, our talents, our abilities, our resources. In my case, he entrusted me the grace of a pastor. You have gifts. You have abilities. You have resources that could function in education, in the medical world. They could function in the business world. But they provide us a platform to serve the Lord. Well, he calls together his servants and entrusted his money to them. He gave five bags of silver to one. Now, here's where the talent comes in. In your King James, it says he gave to one five talents. Now, this talent, this bag of silver, weighed between 58 and 80 pounds. And with today's prices, that bat, one bag would be equivalent of about $20,000. So, he gave one guy five bags, 100000 The other guy, he gave two bags, 40000 And to another, he gave one bag, which was twenty dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Now that's key, because what that means is God doesn't compare me to Billy Graham. God's not going to compare me to Pat Robertson. God is going to compare me to me. Just like God's going to compare you to, to the standard, what he gave you, what did you do with it? He's not going to look at anybody else. You can't point fingers at anybody else, but he's going to say, what did you do on that judgment day with what I gave you? And here's how the story unfolds. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest his money. Who is he investing it for? The master. And he earned five more. Now, I want to suggest this to you. Why do we do what we do as Christians to serve the Lord? Paul the Apostle, if you read through the epistles, Paul started out his letters, most of his letters, with I, Paul, and he would call himself a servant, a slave, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, we find those words very distasteful in America today, but why would this great man who wrote two-thirds of the Bible, who took the gospel to, Gentile, to the entire Gentile world, why would he refer to himself as a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ? I suggest this. Paul was a man who, at one time, he was a, an ardent Jew. He was zealous for the things of the, of the Old Testament law. He thought Christians were, were the problem, so he would kill Christians. He literally would stand when Stephen was stoned. Uh, Saul was standing there giving, giving assent to his, 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 his death. Well, lo and behold, he's going to arrest some more Christians. A light shines from heaven, knocks him off his horse. And you know what he says? Who are you, Lord? And a few days later, we read in our Bible that God miraculously heals him. He opens his eyes, but Paul is saved. And this man that was named Saul becomes a man named Paul. And for the rest of his life, he gave it to serving the Lord who had set him free from his, from his past life. I want to suggest to you he took on his life the form of a servant. 
because of what God had done for him. And I don't know about you, but I know where my life was going. When I was old enough to start living on my own, like I said, I was 18, 19 years of age. I was, I was drinking too much. I was smoking too much. I, 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 my friends were the wrong friends, and my girlfriends were the wrong girlfriends. Now, don't look at me so pious out there. My car wasn't making me happy. My scholarship wasn't making me happy. My girlfriend wasn't making me happy. And when I drink, I'd have to drink the next day because it didn't make me happy. And all of a sudden, Jesus plucked me out of that. And before I know it, I'm standing in front of a Gideon, and a Gideon gives me a Bible on my right of Navy boot camp, and it says, Jesus Christ can change your life. And I devoured that little book. And a few days after that, August 15, 1976, I signed my name in that little book in the back of that Bible, and I've been living for Jesus ever since. And there is a gratitude in my heart for God that whatever the Lord would call me to do is no greater sacrifice because what Jesus did on the cross for me, come on, if he never did another thing, it's more than enough. Give him a big, a big hand today. So being a servant is not a bummer. It's an expression of gratitude, and stewardship is partnership. Now, let's see what happened. Verse 17, the same thing happened with the guy with two bags of silver. He goes and he earns two more. But the servant who got one bag dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, this is the problem. Verse 19, the master returned from his trip and called them to do what? Give an account. account. And one day, friend, let me tell you, in case you didn't know this, you're going to stand before God one day. And you're going to give an account for your life. Fortunately, if we believe in Christ, our sins are atoned for. But we'll still give an account with what we did with what, for what God gave us. So the master has these guys come up. The servant to whom he'd entrusted five bags of silver. Master, you, excuse me, you gave me five bags to invest. I've earned five more. And look what the master was full of praise. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Good steward, you've been faithful in handling this small amount. Now, wait a minute. $100,000 is a lot of money. But in the grand scheme of things, it's just paper and metal. Because, you see, money is a spiritual test. He says, Jesus said, now I'm going to give you more responsibilities. In other words, heaven is not just a place for you to sit around and play the harp all day long. There's going to be things to do, and there's going to be responsibilities, and there's going to be a reward. I want to show you a little picture of what heaven might be like. Um, Jesus, obviously, here's a lady, the first time she sees Jesus. Now, I know that's just a picture, but what's it going to be like when you see Jesus for the first time? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be hiding behind the chair when he comes. He's going to say, Jeannie, for the first time, he's going to say, Jeannie, come here, and you're going to, I bet you we're going to do something like that. You see, because what we're talking about is eternity. Jesus, the Lord of the earth, those that have invested their life in his work, this short life. I look in the mirror and I think, who is that old man? I feel like the guy I did when I was 25 or 30 or 35 or 40, but what's happened? Because life just flies by. The days are long, but the years are short. And one day we'll all stand before God. It's a picture of our reward in heaven. He said the same thing to the man who had two talents. But verse 24, the servant with one bag of silver came and said to the master, I was afraid I'd lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. He literally dug a hole in the ground. It doesn't sound bad at first, 
but it must have been because Jesus said, you wicked and lazy servant. Now think about this. Take the money from this wicked servant that had one and give it to the one who has ten bags of silver. We have a crazy idea in America today called redistribution of wealth. And what it is, it's in my opinion a socialist or a communist view that wants to make us all equally poor because you can't make everybody equally rich. But the Bible has a very different way. Those that have served the Lord and those that have invested their time, their resources, their talents in the kingdom of God, God's going to give them even more. But look at verse 29. Here's our great promise. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. But for those who do nothing, in other words, those that are selfish, those that live for themselves, even the little they have is going to be taken away. This verse troubles me. Throw the useless servant into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This servant thought his master might not be coming back. And at first glance, it's not a bad thing because if the master did return, he could simply give him his talent or his, gold, his silver back and the master wouldn't lose anything if it was a bad investment. But here's why I think the guy was wicked. He thought if the master doesn't return, I'm going to keep the money for myself. And he didn't want to deposit it in a bank because he'd have had to tell the bank who the money belongs to. And if the master didn't come back, he, it wouldn't go to him. It would go to the master's estate. So he was, he was crooked in all of this. And money is a spiritual test. Money is a spiritual test. Listen, next week I'm going to share with you what I think is the most balanced portion of Scripture in all the Bible about the handling of material things. But guess what the verse in the very center of it, it talks about? It talks about enjoying what God gives us. It talks about the love of money, the root of all evil. Enjoy what God has given you. Don't ever feel guilty if you're able to live a blessed life and do nice things. But this passage next week will also talk to us about how to find the balance in this so that money is not our God, but the true God is our God, and we serve Him and not money. L listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth, Matthew 6, where moths and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Now, Jesus is not saying it's wrong to have a closet with stuff in it. But what he's saying is, if you only live for this life, if you only live accumulating things in this world, if you don't buy shoes for kids in Africa, if you don't invest in God's work, if you don't help people as the Lord calls you to do, it's all going to be worthless. Listen to what Jesus said, store your treasures in heaven. It doesn't mean you buy your way into heaven, but what it means, you can use your abilities and resources for an eternal reward. And there's no more profound scripture in the Bible than this next one. Your heart will be where your treasure is. Your heart will be where your treasure is. You cannot serve both God and worldly riches. It is a fact. One will be first, but the steward is chosen to submit himself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The steward wants his heart to be after God because in the greatest commandment in all the Bible, love the Lord your God with all your heart. My, well, how can I love the Lord with all my heart if all I love is turkey hunting and turkey things? How can I love the Lord with all my heart is if all I love is the sales at Dillard's? Somehow, Jesus wants to be first, and when he's first, He'll bless the rest of our world. He didn't want to make us paupers as we go through life. He's a good father and wants to care for us. He just doesn't want us to get strangled by the stronghold of wealth. I'll talk more about it next week. I want to close with this, and it is a wonderful, wonderful promise that Christ gave us. Matthew 6, 31, Jesus said this, Don't worry 
and say, what are we going to eat, drink, or wear? Now, I'm virtually, I am 100% certain today that nobody in this room worries about what they're going to eat, drink, or wear. We live in America, the most prosperous nation in the world. There's no one in America that has to go hungry because of the provisions our government makes and, 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 and caring people make. There's no person in the world that has to sleep outside because of the structure of our, of our culture. But how about if Jesus said this, don't worry about your retirement. Don't worry about your kids and their college expenses. Don't worry about how you're going to replace your car. Now, how many can say, now that hits you right where you live? Sure it does. Jesus didn't say don't be concerned, but somewhere between my thoughts, my managing things, my talking to my investment advisor, my working hard, my planning, somewhere that can become worry. And Jesus said, now you're taking on your shoulders that which belongs to the owner. The owner, God, has the responsibility to take care of us. Our job is to be a good steward. Listen to what Jesus said after that. He said, people who don't know God keep trying to get these things. Now, it's interesting because we who do know God try to get these things too. We just do it differently. Most of Texarkana will wake up in the morning and go to work. And you know why they're going to work? They're going to make money. But do you know why the Christian gets up and goes to work? Trick question here. We get up to go to work to serve the Lord. And in serving the Lord, we're going to make money too. But making money is not our first and foremost concern. Our first and foremost concern in living is serving the Lord. And oh, by the way, as I go to school, as I work, as I have good character, as I'm diligent, as I'm excellent, God's going to bless me and God's going to prosper me. But the responsibility of my life when I've turned my life over to Christ is ultimately on his shoulders and not mine. Listen to what he says, verse 33. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, and then all your other needs will be wet as well. I don't know about you, friends, but it sounds to me like it's a better deal to be a steward than an owner. Come on, give the Lord Jesus a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. See, my tendency, my natural tendency is to worry and be afraid that I won't have enough when I choose to let Jesus be the Lord of my life, it doesn't mean that I give up working or give up planning or give up saving. It simply means I turn the responsibility over Him. And whenever I face worry and fear about the future, I replace it with trust in my Heavenly Father. Well, listen, here's how we're going to close today. Uh, each week in, in this New Beginning series, I, I want you to hear from one of our staff members. Uh, and they're talking about each week about a niche of the church where they're involved in. Last week, Pastor Mike and Sharon talked about our outreach ministries and how our new facility will help. But now our, our worship pastor, Pastor Zach, is going to share with you a little bit. And I think it'll, I think it'll encourage your heart. Listen to Pastor Zach as he talks about our, our future new beginning at uh, the old Gander Mountain. Whenever I was 17, uh, I was really searching for something in life. And I had a close friend of mine who invited me to go to Powerhouse. Uh, I started going for several months. God started really working on my heart. I finally gave my heart to God. Uh, and then he really just started meeting me in real ways uh, right before my senior year of high school. Uh, shortly after that, we started doing groups. We started helping with worship. I started playing drums in the youth worship band. And as soon as I graduated high school, I was actually hired as a uh, just a part-time assistant or an intern. And I started cleaning powerhouse and I started leading worship. 
And uh, so through the years, that position grew uh, to where now I'm actually the senior worship pastor uh, here at Church on the Rock. And, and it's incredible to see what God does with someone who just understands the importance of the presence of God. And um, the last couple years, we've been working really hard to create an atmosphere for people to come and to experience God in a real way. You know, in each weekend service, we have some people that have been serving God for 50 years, and then we have some people that have never set foot inside of a church service. So our job as a worship team is to get all those people to experience God in a real way, because we know the life-changing power that, that is in the, the presence of God. And so in our, in our current facility, we're really limited on seating. We're, uh, we only have about 600 chairs in, in our sanctuary, and it's really tight. Um, the sound system is, is a little bit dated, and it, it, it kind of makes it hard to get everybody in the atmosphere together. But one thing that we're really excited about in our new building is that we'll have better sound, we'll have better media, we'll have more seating, we'll have bigger aisles for people to answer altar calls. And our whole goal is to create an atmosphere for people to draw close to God because I know what God can do if you just lift your hands for the first time in worship or if you answer an altar call at the end of a sermon. And we're believing that God's going to continue to do incredible things in our church services and in our new building. We'll have more of an opportunity to reach more people and to make a bigger uh, impact for the kingdom of God, not only in our city, but around the world. We're really excited about new beginnings. Well, that was a worship pastor talking about a building. I, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the worship pastor. When I first met Zach, he was about 16 or 17, and he went to Redwaters where my kids went. And the way I knew him is the number on the back of his football jersey. He was a little worldly. Actually, both he and his brother work at our church. His brother Cole is our youth pastor. And both of them were, 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 went to Redwater. But uh, uh, Zach was a little worldly, like most, you know, most of us were. But something happened to him when the gospel came to him. Zach was even, I think, I don't know if it was him or Cole. Could have been both of them. But I remember somebody coming to church one time and they found out when Zach and Cole were working here, they're saying, I'm not going to that church then because I know how they used to be. Well, you know what they knew? They knew the old Zach and Cole, not the one that had been transformed by Jesus. See, something happens when the gospel, the good news of Christ comes. All of us at different times of our life begin to be aware of the condition of our heart. We're aware of what the Bible calls sin. And there's a part of me that likes that. There's a part of me, if that cross represents God's will for my life, there's a part of me that likes living out here. I did. My only question when I was 18 was, who's having the party tonight? But even in running after the party, something's missing. And your awareness of God at least makes you start looking back over your shoulder. Well, at some point you stop and you turn because you realize, that's not happiness. My friends were kind of doing that. It was, my, my grades were going down. But my heart was knowing that what my Sunday school teacher taught me about that man Jesus on the cross. I look at the world and I know God created it. I'm going to see if it's real. That's what happened to Pastor Zach. That's what happened to Pastor Cole. This weekend, if it's an average weekend, we'll have about 300 children in our kids' zone. 
That's all different ages. You know what excites me? There's more Pastor Zach's in that kid zone right now. There's more Pastor Cole's. Right now, my daughter Bethany, Rebecca was six weeks internship in Africa. Bethany committed two years of her life to go as a missionary to Africa. The impact she'll make will be eternal. There's another young girl, Dejrasi's daughter, graduated from high school this year and feels before she goes to college, she's gonna go and do an in, she's gonna go to Bible college for six months. We had another young man that was a, a, an assistant in Kids Zone for years. He got a job offer, now he's a children's pastor in West Texas. These are the things that happen with kids. Kids grow up to be more than just quarterbacks. They grow up to be more than just nurses and doctors. They can grow up to be men and women of God. I guarantee you a kid that grows up knowing God and loving God, and if they stay with God, you'll never find them with the rifle in their hand in front of a Walmart. Come on. Our world needs more of this. And this is why we're moving over to that old Gander Mountain, because more space means more kids. And more kids get on fire for Jesus, more world changers. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today? And I, we want to close in prayer today. Hey, I sure want to invite you. I don't know if I mention it in this service or not, but those vision desserts that Pastor Mike talked about, I, I, I did four last week. I did two on Tuesday and two on Thursday. I went home Thursday night, and normally I was tired. I'd been out three or four nights that week. And usually I hit the pillow, and I'm ready to zonk. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I had so much fun. You know, it's, it's like church. We, we see each other and we just kind of say, hello, hi. Maybe we nod. But that was a small environment. It was about 30, 40 people. And we had people sharing testimonies of their life. I shared some details about what we're going towards in our future. And it was just about doing that. And I would love to be able to spend about an hour, hour and a half with you. It's this uh, a Thursday night and Friday night. And if you'd like to do that, you sign up in the lobby after church. But here's the way we want to close our service today is we want to make a place for prayer. If you're here today and anything that is in your heart, don't leave with a weight or a burden. Don't go back out into the world the way you came. Let somebody pray for you. It might be something related specifically to this message. When I was talking about worry, maybe you are like me and it's hard sometimes not to worry about the future. Maybe it's hard not to let God have control and because Listen, I'm kind of, I have a bit of control in my life, but it's hard to do that. But you know what? When you do, everything goes better. But if you feel like I'm talking to you right now, come, come bring that to the Lord. Let somebody pray with you. But the biggest prayer, I guess, if I could say this way, perhaps the most important prayer is not just a prayer that we would have a better Christian life, but for people that would like to become a Christian, for people that would like to start following Jesus. I was raised in church, and I'm thrilled mom made me go, but how many know going to church doesn't make you a Christian? What makes you a Christian is when you have that turning point in life, when you know that God's real and you understand the good news. That I have sinned, and I'm aware of it, but Jesus died for my sins, and that if I would believe and follow Him, He'd offer me the gift of eternal life. I remember in my life, August 15, 1976, read that little Gideon Bible he gave me in the verses of salvation and I wrote my name in the back of it. It was the day that I asked Christ to forgive me, but listen, the day that I committed my life to follow him. And maybe that's what you need to do today. You need a savior and you commit your life to Christ. So whether it's the first time you, you, this commitment is being made or, or maybe you've gotten away from God and today you want to come back. If today is your day, I'm going to encourage you when they start singing this song, you want to get right with God. You want a brand new relationship with your relationship with God. I'm going to encourage you to just slip out of your chair and come meet us at the cross. 
It is a tremendous symbol of walking away from the past and walking towards the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll pray for you. We'll give you something that's going to help you. I promise you we won't embarrass you, but we will help you as you make the greatest decision of your life. Go ahead, Pastor Zach. Just begin to play right now. Our prayer team is coming to the front. They will be here for anyone that needs prayer. Come on, prayer team. Come to the front and help me out here. They'll be waiting for you. But if you need to commit your life to Christ, we'll see you at the cross. I love you and thanks for coming. Lord willing, we'll see you next week.